Hello, PodFam. Today, we are welcoming our very first guest on the podcast, Preeti Pugach. She is a founder and chief vision officer of The Empowered Woman Rises, a movement that is challenging systemic discrimination by empowering women to advocate for themselves and the women around them. Welcome to the show, Preeti. What are you drinking today? Hi, thank you for having me. I have my Melbourne tea. It has like a nice chocolatey flavor and it's just so nice and relaxing, especially in this, you know, crisp fall weather. It's perfect. Mm, That sounds so good. Now, is it caffeinated or decaf? It is caffeinated. I, you know, with two kids, I take all the caffeine I can get. For sure. You definitely need that little kick during the day. And Rachel, you are also here with us. What are you drinking? Hello. I also have something caffeinated today because we are recording this in the afternoon so I can get away with it. And it's a cinnamon rooibos tea. Ooh, that sounds good too. Yes. It's very fancy. It's like one of those David teas. And I don't know, I found it in the pantry and I was just like, oh, that's a good idea. So I'm very excited about it. But what are you having, Laura? Okay. Well, I clearly didn't get the memo because I'm drinking a decaf (laughs) coffee. Um, All right. Yeah. yeah, Sorry. Sorry, guys. I dropped the ball here. Um, (laughs) I'm kind of recording out of my family's office today. We just kind of had some sudden family stuff come up. So I'm going to apologize if you kind of hear some like background noise, um, beeping and buzzers going off but I think we should be good but yeah I'm drinking a decaf coffee we didn't have any tea on site which that's just wrong and I need to fix that (laughs) Mm -hmm. you'll have to uh, put a complaint into the message box before you leave and be like it didn't lend itself to the full recording atmosphere yeah coffee the only tea on site was like the pico orange Ooh, and like I'm just not that desperate a decaf coffee is just it'll work It'll work. We'll let it slide today. Okay, thank you. Yes. I swear, there's more tea coming. It's just not here. Decaf still has a little bit of caffeine in it, so. Yeah, see, I'm like partly here. (laughs) Partly here. (laughs) Anyway, let's get off our decaf coffee. And Preeti, so you are kind of a woman on the roll right now. How about you start off by like telling us your story and experience with uh, discrimination as a woman? Yeah, thank you. So my name is Preeti. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a first generation Asian American and I came here, came to the United States with my parents in 2004. I stayed here for my schooling and met my husband here. And, you know, I've worked at my very first job here was actually at a Starbucks. I was a barista. Since then, I've had, you know, 10 plus years of experience in corporate America as an IT project manager and business analyst. I recently started my small business called The Empowered Women Rises, where I empower women to advocate for themselves and other women through education. You know, my story begins 10 years ago, and I was fresh out of college, and I was so eager to just, you know, make a name for myself and really, really make a difference in the world and start earning money for myself. I was living by myself. It was, it was so great. One day, I got called into my boss's office, and... When I got there, he said, you know, the people you walk past outside. Yeah. So they bet me that I couldn't make you cry. And I remember just feeling like the earth had been sort of swept off under my feet. Like I, I didn't know what was happening. 
I mm-hmm. felt so broken. I felt so hurt. I felt angry. But mm-hmm. because I was so new in the workplace, I didn't know how to respond or what to make of this. And all I could ask was, what did they bet you? How much did they bet you? And he said, 20 bucks. Wow. And, you know, and again, another shock, right? I First of all, you're going to make a young woman cry. And second, you're going to say, oh, it's only worth 20 bucks. It, it was just the most surreal experience I've ever had. So I walked out of the office upset and everybody saw it. And I was apologized to later, but, you know, none of this should have ever happened. But here's the problem. I didn't see this as they were wrong. I took it as I don't know what I'm doing to receive this kind of behavior, receive Mm -hmm. this kind of treatment. You know, I need to establish myself so that this doesn't happen again. I'm the problem. I'm giving off these vibes. And, you know, I, I doubled down. I worked so hard. I was, you know, putting in like 70, 80 hours a week and just really trying to prove myself. But these things kept on happening and happening over and over where I was talked over in meetings. I was having my ideas stolen. I was in front of everyone being told that I was going to be ignored. And nobody stepped in to say, that's not okay. One day I came across this story by Susan Fowler. She was an employee at Uber and she talks about her experience with her manager who actually propositioned her and she complained about it to HR. And they were like, oh, you know, it's his first time and he's such a great employee and we've talked to him and it won't happen again, but it didn't stop. They gave her options of, well, you can transfer to another team, but, you know, if you stay, just remember this may reflect in your review. And I realized the problem is systemic. It's everywhere Mm -hmm. around us. And this is how women everywhere are being treated. And so I wasn't the problem. And oh my gosh, that was such a light bulb moment for me. So I went down a rabbit hole of just, you know, Googling and finding all these stories. I started attending these empowerment conferences where I was hearing from, you know, women like Michelle Obama and Amal Clooney and Serena Williams. And these powerful women were going through the same things. And it doesn't matter who you are, as long as you're not a straight white man there's some level of discrimination you're going to face. And that was what led me to start this movement because I hadn't heard about all of this. I didn't know this existed. I sort of lived in my own bubble. And I realized Mm -hmm. that I need to tell other people my story because they may be going through the same thing, thinking they're the problem. And that's not okay. No, it's absolutely not. And just as you're telling your story, I had so many emotions coming up, like tears, but like anger at the same time. And I agree with you. Like, I, I don't think I would know what to say in that situation. And I think so many women have been there and, you know, you have a podcast, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but it's just incredible what women have to face on a day to day. And it really opened my eyes to some things that were happening around me that I didn't even know was was a problem. So thank you. Yeah, I wanted to ask you because uh, I'd seen before that you were working in the tech industry previously, yeah. and I wanted to know whether you thought that that choice of industry almost had you face higher levels of discrimination as a woman, or do you think that it's really the same no matter where you are? Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. In my experience and from the stories I've heard, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. 
where men feel like they're in power. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if the culture, which is going to be set by the leadership, if the culture in an organization allows that, it's going to happen. Every mm-hmm. new relationship, you know, it, whether it's in a workplace, whether it's, a, you know, intimate relationship, there's boundaries that are going to be tested. And mm-hmm. as soon as you allow one thing to happen, it's going to keep happening. So it starts out with jokes, right? It's, it starts out with sexist jokes, and they're seeing how you're going to react. The moment you let that slide, it's only going to escalate from there. So while it may possibly happen more in heavily male-dominated industries, it's happening everywhere else that are, you know, traditionally female dominated, like hospitality. It, it absolutely happens. And it may not be the management. You may see it from the customers who treat you mm-hmm. a different way. You know, it's yeah. going to happen in medicine where people assume women walking into the room are nurses because, you know, mm-hmm. they can't be doctors, right? Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it, and <laughs> it's, it's just interesting because we have these traditional, especially in a patriarchal society, you're going to have these traditional gender norms that are going to be set, you know, so women are, you know, child rearing, they're more nurturing and caring and softer and men are passionate and leaders and creatives. And you see all of that play out in our everyday interactions. It's unfortunate, but once you know about it, I think you start seeing it everywhere. It's kind of like, when you are looking for a car and you're like, oh, I like, you know, whatever, Toyota Highlander, um, you start seeing them everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So once you're attuned to it, I think you you start to notice it happen a lot more everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And it's so true. And I find for myself, I listen to my body's reaction mm. a little bit more now. Like like I let my intuitive sense pick up on that first. Because even as a, as a customer going into a business that is either like very male dominated, um, the car car sales industry is like great yeah. place. But uh, there was one place, you know, I was dropping off something to be repaired and just how the employee was like interacting with me. I'm just mm. like, I feel like I need to bring my boyfriend when I come back to like get my things. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Oh, it's just amazing. Like how prominent it really is when you start seeing it everywhere. Yeah. You could be a NASCAR driver and they would still treat you the same way. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It was ringing true as you were talking, Preeti. But, you know, before I transferred industries, I was in film, which is it's its own own game. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily male dominated or female dominated. It's pretty equal playing field, at least from what I saw. But it's almost despite that, I remember one experience towards the end of my time there where I had been working in this job for a year and I I thought I was doing really, really well. And I remember I had a meeting with my male supervisor who it was you could kind of never you can kind of never get it right. And he would make sure to tell you that. And I had been doing this for a year and he was like, yeah, well, you're not doing this well and you're not doing this well. You should go talk to the new assistant who was a male and Mm -hmm. see what he's doing because he's doing it better. And he had only been there for three weeks. And I was just like, "Um, he hasn't even learned how to do the job yet. I don't think (laughs) that's true. And it was just such like a shocking experience for me where I was like, uh, I don't think that foundationally he's better at the job. I think that there is something more going on here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Gosh, it's, it is it is everywhere. And honestly, you know, interactions like those, 
make me just think about, you know, how much people can't wait to put us in our quote unquote place. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I felt that so much. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you have to say that? Right. Can you evaluate me as an individual and tell me, tell Mm -hmm. me what I can do better. Right. Tell me what I can do different. Set me up for success. Mm-hmm. By telling me how I can improve, maybe there's some trainings I can take. And and that's great. And I'm all for it. The moment you compare me to somebody else, what you're telling me is you're always going to hold me to a different standard. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. come from different backgrounds, right? People don't have access to the same resources growing up. And people are just unique. And that's the beauty. If everyone was the same, it'd be so boring. It would. So, yeah. <laughs> I, and I think, you know, leaders especially need to open their eyes to how they're treating their employees and and not mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also shocking, too, when, you know, as women, I think we, we want to find a solution. So mm-hmm. in those experiences, we're like, OK, but how can I fix it? Like, I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. How can I fix my communication to you so that it's better for you? And when they can't give a straight answer, it just, it's that alarm bell where you're like, oh no, there's something deeper. Gosh, yeah. It's, oh, I don't like how you as a woman are communicating to me, but I'm not going to like it anyway. So I don't have a solution for you. You can't win. You really can't. I mean, and, no. and um, you know, you've probably seen this on my Instagram page, but I talk about this example of where my boss told me, and I had recently been promoted, mind you, I'd been there for so long. And he just told me one day that my voice was childlike and that I should look into voice lessons. So I don't sound childlike over the phone because oh people God. won't take me seriously. Oh, God. And, and, wow. and, and Preeti, that is actually, I don't know why, <laughs> it just with the past two weeks here, that's like the third story I have heard about a woman going to take voice lessons. Oh, my gosh. Due to like comments on on how she sounds in like the I would be like do you want me to sound like a late night fm dj like <laughs> right. oh yeah like, let's <laughs> <talk about that. laughs> like do you want to go with a sex phone operator or do you want me to sound really yeah manly so people can't tell that i'm a woman you know but it's it's interesting because it reminds me of stories growing up um so i'm indian and you know big on bollywood movies and there were mm-hmm. so many actresses growing up who were smoking so that their voice was a little bit more like uh, sultry and, and, oh, no and coarser rather than childlike. Wow. But that's what happens, right? When you do stuff, that's where diet pills come in. That's where diet fads come in because you idealize this person and then you tell mm-hmm. everybody, well, that's how you have to be or you're not going to be successful, right? And women, as we're progressing, and that was the thing for me. i just been promoted. I'm feeling great about, you know, everything I've achieved. And then I just, I felt like knocked down again because now I was conscious mm-hmm. about how I was sounding on the phone. So now you're paranoid as you're working. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, people aren't going to take me seriously. Like, <laughs> I'm in a high role here. Like, I need to be taken seriously. And that's where I had to stop myself and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've been going on this empowerment thing for a while. Listen to yourself. This isn't okay. You are not the problem. Mm-hmm. Just be yourself and they'll deal with it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so true. So on that note, tell us mm-hmm. more about your movement, uh, The Empowered Woman Rises. Yeah, so the Empowerment Rises, or TOUR as I call it, is it's a movement that aims to empower, 
inspire and lift women across the world. And it comes from my own journey. It comes from the lessons I've learned over the years. And I'm still on that journey. You know, I still suffer from imposter syndrome once in a while, because anytime I do something new, I'm like, why would people listen to me? And then I tell myself, because they're going through the same things and they can relate. And that's the fundamental core of this movement is let's share our stories. Let's learn from each other because together we can make the world a different place. So I educate women. That's my key form of empowerment. I do it through my podcast. Mm -hmm. I do it through my Instagram page. And I provide what I call entry-level access to social justice. Mm -hmm. So we're starting from the beginning. Let's talk about confidence. Let's talk about gaslighting. Let's talk about gendered racism, you know, stereotyping. Let's talk about what it means to have an inclusive work environment. Let's talk about these basic things because when I think back to, you know, me being that new college student or freshly graduated student and being in the workplace, I think about what I would have wanted to know at that point. And that's the kind of information that I like to share. I also, because I have corporate experience, I like to ask, you know, my community members what questions I can help with. And I get a lot of great questions. So I just did a reel this morning about how do you deal with angry customers? And so I like to think mm-hmm. of myself as like your personal work and relationship consultant, you know, like I love that. <laughs> ask me anything and I will tell you from my experience or, you know, just things I've learned along the way that I think may be helpful. Yeah. And I love that you're you're starting with the basics. And I, I almost want to use like gaslighting as an example. You know, mm-hmm. for me personally, and I think a lot of other women and people can relate is, you know, I heard it in the media and everyone was talking about gaslighting, but I didn't actually know what the definition of, of it was or, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, I need examples of it so I can identify it in my life and see if it's actually happening to me and those around me. Yeah. It's insane, right? Once you, like I said, once you get attuned to these things, you're like, oh my God, this is happening everywhere. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is it happens in our everyday relationships, right? Like we, Mm -hmm. our partners Mm -hmm. may be doing it like, no, I didn't say that. And you have to kind of stop and say, okay, let's pause because you did say that. Maybe you don't remember it that way, but the extreme version of it is complete denial to the point where people start going crazy. Um, So when Mm -hmm. I did the post about gaslighting, I did some research and I found this example by this woman saying, you know, my partner hit me and I fell down the stairs and I had all these bruises. But when I talked to him about it, he said, oh, you just fell down. I didn't do anything. And he kept denying it. And and she was like, I'm just going crazy because I feel like I remember him doing it. But Maybe not. And so that's the kind of level Mm. of maliciousness (laughs) that's out there. And if you don't know what to look for, you can just so easily fall prey to it, especially when you love somebody and you just want to be loved back. And Mm -hmm. these people especially will show you love one day and then hurt you another day. And so you go in this crazy cycle of, oh, but he loves me. So this must be temporary. You know, it's just his way of showing love. He just had a hard day, right? Like, you know, his boss yelled at him or something, or he got stuck in traffic on the way home. Yeah. Oh, he just had a couple of drinks, so that's why he cheated on me or he hit me. 
we start to mm-hmm. normalize these things. And a lot of it has to do with our childhood too. You know, if we grow up in families where those things are normal, where we see our fathers hitting our mothers, or we see alcoholism, right? Or we see like, our, you know, there's a new partner every week. We start to normalize mm-hmm. those things and say, oh, this is just how the world is. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to get hit. And, and that's okay. So it's so important to start educating our kids even from when they're very young, because it's easier to teach children new things than change the attitudes in adults because they've been used to a certain lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Just a question was coming up, but whether you're it's in a relationship or in the workplace with a coworker or your boss, what can we look out for to know that gaslighting is starting in a relationship? Because from my understanding, like it kind of starts with little things and then gets bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. What can we watch out for to stop that kind of toxic manipulative relationship before it really, you know, gets to a point where abuse is happening constantly, but you can't trust yourself? Yeah, so many things. So the first thing, honestly, in any relationship, whether it's workplace or personal, you have to know who you are and what you stand for. You Mm -hmm. have to have a baseline for what things are acceptable to you, how you want to be treated. Once you have that baseline, it's easier to spot these things. So if my baseline Mm -hmm. is I want to be respected, I want what I am complaining about to be taken seriously, the moment it's dismissed, I know that's wrong. That's a classic form of gaslighting. I say something and it's dismissed as, oh, no, that's not how it happened. Or are you just being too sensitive? Because, you know, that's just how it is. These are words that have been said to me, by the way. Mm, And mm -hmm. I didn't know. And again, I took it as my on myself as, oh, my God, I am being too sensitive. Um, Mm -hmm. I was pregnant. And, you know, when something big happened and when I complained about it it was, oh, you're just hormonal because you're pregnant. Being gaslit all throughout. And and it's infuriating. Right. Yeah. And one of the worst ones is like, oh, it, it must be that time of the month. Like, excuse me. Like, oh, now you're God. invading yeah. my bod- my bodily rights. Ugh, yeah. It's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, you need to set boundaries. And when that's happening, where somebody's saying, are you being too sensitive? Are you sure that's how it happened? Yes, that is absolutely how it happened. And mm-hmm. you stick with it. Where we start to show weakness, where people know that they can do this over and over again, is when we start to say, oh, yeah, okay, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll see if it happens again, and then we can look at it. No. The first time it happens, address it. When you set those boundaries up front, the chances of it happening again decline significantly versus if you let mm-hmm. it happen. And then it gets to a point where people are like, well, you were okay with it before. Now it's ha- what's changed. And that happens in relationships too. You know, women allow certain behaviors when it's boyfriend, girlfriend, right? And, Mm -hmm. oh, he's just throwing the towel on the floor. That's okay. I'll just pick it up. And then when you're married, you know, it's like, uh, can you pick up your towel? And it's like, but you were okay with it first. And yeah, it makes you just think about, huh, I was okay with it. What changed? But the Mm -hmm. answer is you were never okay with it. You were just sort of in this like honeymoon phase where you're loving and, and, you know, you now are like, oh, my God, this is this is not OK. So it's very important to recognize those things early on in the moment you recognize them to set boundaries and say this is not OK. Mm-hmm. Laura and I have discussed that as well on some of our previous episodes where sometimes when say it's like the towel example, 
where mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, okay, I'll just pick it up, but also still addressing that conversation no matter how uncomfortable yeah. it is. Because it's like even though you're taking it on yourself to be like, okay, I'll pick up the towel, we're in our honeymoon phase, et cetera, there is still like an underlying feeling in your stomach where you're like, I hate having to do that. And yeah. it's way easier to set that boundary early on and say, you know, like maybe sometimes if you're in a rush, it's okay. But like if you're just tossing it on the ground and then going about your day, that's completely not okay. No, I was just thinking off of that point there that, you know, going back to how women are raised and young girls are yes. spoken to, we are yeah. trained to be people pleasers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So now we're seeing this effect as adults and as it's becoming more and more addressed in society that we're like, wow, we have some hard lessons to unlearn because we have mm-hmm. literally been raised this way to not cause a disturbance, always be polite, um, you know, never offend anyone and, and keep the peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be ladylike, right? Always. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that means. <laughs> I know, right? Um, <laughs> You know, and it's interesting. And to your point, we're raised to be, like you said, people pleasers. We're also raised to take care of everyone around us. And so, you know, put everyone else's feelings above ours, right? And it starts with childhood. It starts with, especially in Asian cultures, you'll see where if you go visit a family, they'll say, oh, go hug auntie, whatever, you know. And if you don't want to, you're almost forced to because it's seen as rude Mm -hmm. if you don't. Yeah. And those are the things we're teaching our kids to ignore your own comfort and Mm -hmm. please others, right? And and it plays out later in life where lessons of consent are being dismissed or being discarded. And then all of a sudden when they're adults, we're like, well, you need to know about consent and you need to know that you need to say yes or no. When you teach a child compliance, you can't expect them to be assertive when they're older. Because that's mm-hmm. gonna be so hard to break through all of these years of doing that one particular behavior. Yeah, and it's like we need to break these patterns now to move forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on that note, mm-hmm. like Laura and I, we aren't at the point of having kids yet, but how can we and some of our other listeners that maybe want children in the future but don't have them, how can we break down those patterns in ourselves so that subconsciously we don't pass it on to our daughters. Yeah. So a lot of it starts with role modeling. Our kids are watching us every day. So I have a two-year-old and he literally does everything we do. Like if I say, oh. hi, sweetheart, he'll be like, hi, sweetheart. Aww. You know, Aww, I say, that's so cute. <laughs> if I say, hey, buddy, that's not safe. He'll be like, not safe. And he still goes and does what I mean, that's just where he is <laughs> developmentally. Right now. But, you know, he's repeating and he's watching us do all of these things. There's a phenomenal experiment done by a third grade teacher in 1968, and it's called Brown Eyes, Blue Eyes. You should watch it on YouTube. It's phenomenal. So what she does is she's in class one day and says, hey, guys, we're going to do an experiment. So she's talking about, you know, how black people are treated differently in our country, right? And they go, yes. And she's like, let's do an experiment. So I have blue eyes. So today we're going to say that people with blue eyes are better than people with brown eyes. And so like this Mm camera is painting around the room. There's children with brown eyes and there's, you know, children with blue eyes. Almost immediately 
these kids are like, he's a brown eyed, Hmm. you know, and she's like, okay, you know, blue eyed people are going to get extra time at recess and brown eyed people have to wear this collar. And you see these kids within a minute, you know, within 15 minutes are completely like, I'm better than you are. And Mm -hmm. all she said was, hey, you're better than them. And it morphed into this discriminatory behavior so Mm -hmm. quickly that it was so scary. The next day she came in and said, oh, well, I lied. The brown eyed people are better than the blue eyed people. And all of Mm -hmm. a sudden you start seeing how they're like, we don't like this. We don't like how we're being treated. But they had no problem treating them. Yeah, they had no problem being like the driving force of of discrimination. (laughs) It tells you that our kids are listening, they're learning from us, and these behaviors start out in childhood. So the media that's around us, right, what we watch, what we talk to them about, they're watching us and they see how we treat different people. So if you treat, you know, women with the same respect that you treat men with, they're watching that. If you're at a dinner table and you're sitting with your kids, if your daughter's shy, she's quiet, ask her to speak up, you know, hey, tell me your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, if if your boy is just going on and on, that's cool. But give your child that voice too, because she may be seeing things at school that she's starting to replicate at home. And it's going to be your Mm -hmm. job to tell her, no, she has a space in this world. And you are here to help her create and own that space. Also, you know, you have to do things, right? So girls are sexualized from when we're children. Oh, you're so pretty. You know, and so you start to think your worth comes from how you look. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for the boys, we're like, oh, you're so smart. So even even with my daughter, she's, you know, all of three months old. I'm like, you're so pretty and so smart. I'm so proud of you. Like, <laughs> but she may not understand that right now, but it's going to become a part of her vocabulary. So role modeling is so key. Consent is another big one. And consent Mm -hmm. starts when you're younger. You know, if you say, hey, can I give you a hug? And they're like, no, or they walk away. That's okay, right? You say, that's okay, buddy. Like, you don't want a hug right now? That's fine. And the important thing is to teach our girls to live in a man's world because that's the unfortunate truth, but also to teach our boys to understand a woman's perspective. Mm -hmm. That's key. Um, Mm -hmm. There's another experiment that I just saw, and it's these kids in a playroom So the girls are sent into this playroom. It's all blue looking toys. Okay. So it's a traditional, you know, quote unquote boy toys, right? So there's cars and trucks and and a blue scooter and they have no problem going in. These Mm -hmm. boys are sent into a room with pink toys and they're like, we don't know what to do with these or we don't know how to play with them. And that just tells you, right? So we're, we're teaching our girls, we're starting to change the attitude and teach them, hey, you have to be strong and you have to be smart and, and we love you, but we're not teaching our boys how to do the same thing. You have to make sure you're giving the same signals to both of them. So much, like I said, is them just looking at us and saying, what is my mom doing? How is she treating this other mom so you know when women start talking about each other sometimes we'll be like and then she just did this and we just have to be really careful about what our kids are listening into because they don't have that ability to discern right from wrong Mm -hmm. they don't have the ability to discern mom's just had a rough day and she just needs to vent you know that's the behavior they're going to carry so yeah role Mm -hmm. modeling is very very much key something 
that I'm hearing underlying here is that for us as parents, it's approaching your interactions with your children always from a place of consciousness of how are my actions going to impact my child's learning? Because they really are like sponges. Yeah. So don't say things like be like a lady. Don't say things like boys will be boys. Boys don't cry. (laughs) Yeah, right? Boys don't cry. You know, if your daughter or your son, they come home with a scratch on their arm from, you know, the girl or the boy, don't tell them, oh, honey, it's just because they like you. No, those behaviors are not okay. You don't know how they're going to internalize that and allow for bullying to happen in the future Mm -hmm. because they think that if they bring that to you, you're just going to dismiss it. Yeah, and especially as women get older and then they start getting into more romantic relationships, yeah, they're going to, again, going back to gaslighting and the abuse, they're not going to be yeah. able to separate that from wrong yeah. and right. It's so important to have that open communication channel with your kids where they can come to you and talk to you and they know that you will listen to them, you will understand where they're coming from and you're not gonna dismiss it because so many kids won't come to you when they're being cyberbullied, when somebody is, God forbid, grooming them online mm-hmm. because they're gonna think that, oh, I made a mistake and I can't go to mom or dad because they may get angry or they may blame me for something. It's so important to teach our kids it's okay if you make a mistake. Let's talk about it. You know, these are learning moments. Like you said, you just have to be really, really aware of how you're coming off to your kids. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was that was amazing. That's really helpful. Heading back to the workplace here. Yeah. There's a problem right now in corporate, I guess, shall we mm-hmm. say, the big nameless entity, where there are things in place that are anti-discrimination, Right. But a lot of it seems a bit performative. So I'm just wondering if you have any tangible tips for employers and leadership to create a more diverse and inclusive culture that goes beyond just that performance. Yeah. So first of all, you know, is be in tune with what's happening in your workplace There is a lawsuit against Activision Blizzard right now where a lot of these discriminatory behaviors were happening and they were being dismissed. And the CEO sort of just was like, oh, I didn't know this was happening. And how can you not? You know, Mm -hmm. how are you so far removed from the workplace that you don't see the issues at hand? So first of all, look around you, see what's happening, and it's going to be up to you to create that culture that's diverse, that's inclusive. And inclusive means you let somebody be who they are and also feel like a team member, also feel like they belong. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a few steps. And at the very beginning, you have to sort of look at yourself and say, am I stereotyping? What kinds of unconscious bias do I have? You know, am I treating women differently than I'm treating men? And those are the kinds of baseline questions you have to ask yourself to kind of assess what's happening at your workplace. The Mm -hmm. next thing is you start articulating the expectations about behaviors that are expected. So, you know, it can look like everyone's going to partake in stereotyping and unconscious bias training. And everybody is going to take training that talks about privilege because these are uncomfortable topics. Mm -hmm. And often people are like, I don't understand why I have to do it. 
but it's so important to have that baseline and to be on the same page so that you understand where some of these policies that may be at your workplace start coming from. So articulate what the behavior is, right? And it can be something as simple as when we're in meetings, I want everybody to have a voice. I want no interruptions. When somebody is speaking, you let them finish speaking. Mm -hmm. And if somebody is quiet, I am going to expect the person who arranged the meeting to ask that person what their thoughts are. And this is something actually President Obama did too. And he would, you know, look around the room, see who was talking at the end. If there were people who were quiet, he would say, I'd like to know what your ideas are. So articulate what your expectations are. Yeah. And almost like actively moderate to Mm -hmm. set those examples. And then when your employees can see that, they can be, oh, you know what? I like that behavior. You know, I like that I was asked what my opinions were. And I see that my coworker hasn't been able to get a word in edgewise. So, you know, I'm going to be that extender to reach out to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's important to have the conversations of, look, we live in a patriarchal society. We live in a society that gives men more power over women. There's this research I just found recently that said men are more likely to believe other men that sexism exists rather than women, because when women bring it up, you know, men tend to think, oh, this is going to benefit you. That's why you're bringing it up. It blows my mind, by the way. Uh, (laughs) But that happens. So if you are in a position of power somewhere, just by the mere fact that you are in a higher status group, right? So in America, you're a white, straight man. And you see something happening around you, say something. It's the classic, see something, say something. But it's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, then we go back to the role modeling, what that inclusive behavior looks like, and then you reinforce it. There's also things you can do to be mindful of the bias that you're showing. So job descriptions can actually have gender bias. So when you use words like rock star or superhero versus collaborative, you know, you're showing Mm -hmm. gender bias in that role. So there's a website and you can Google it. You put your job description in there. It'll tell you the terms that show that gender bias. So you want to stay away from things like that and and stick with the actual role, right? Project manager, that's Mm -hmm. your role. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I expect you to, you know, like follow up with stakeholders, whatever that is. But you need to be aware of what you're projecting A key thing to an inclusive culture is having a feedback loop Mm -hmm. so that when things are happening, you know, people will slap the whole, I have an open door policy. Well, great. But if you're not going to do anything about the things that are coming to you with, and if you're going to tell me I'm being sensitive, what's the point of this open door policy? Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, very, very hypocritical. So yeah, assess what's happening, articulate your expectations, role model the behavior and reinforce those desired behaviors. And if you see something, say something. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that kind of rolls perfectly into my question for you on the language and how people should be addressed in the workplace. I'm just thinking of one example that's happened and I personally experienced and witnessed where it seemed like the men were addressed as such and individually Where with the Mm -hmm. women, it would be like, oh, go see the girls upstairs or go see the girls in the office. You know, it was never, you know, okay, go see Rachel, go see Preeti. And it was like, we're all just lumped together, but also given this Mm -hmm. like very demoted childlike status. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on like how, you know, we should work in this language? 
honestly, a lot of it is normalized for us when we're growing up. It's why it's harder for us to see that these problems exist around us. So it starts with self-awareness of how we're coming across. And that's why I think these trainings of what is stereotyping, what's unconscious bias, what are gender norms? What is likability penalty? What is role congruity? When you start to look at terms like these, you start to sort of evaluate how you are coming across. So role congruence, Mm -hmm. for example, is the idea that you'll be positively evaluated if you're in a role that matches your gender norms. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. for, right. We talked a little bit about earlier, you know, so if you're a teacher, right, when you picture a teacher, you immediately picture a woman because that matches your gender norms. You're you're cultivating, you're soft and you're nurturing. Right. So women are more likely to be positively evaluated as assistants rather than leaders. And until you're aware of how you're coming across, you can't make that change. And so that's where if you see things, say something comes up where men need to step up and call out other men and say, hey, that's not cool, man. Just something Mm -hmm. as simple as that. You know, that's not cool. You should, you know, that's pretty. That's not girls. Yeah. (laughs) She's not the office girl. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, there's something called likability penalty that I just talked about. And it's actually a term coined by Sheryl Sandberg. And what it is, it reflects how women in business are penalized when they're exhibiting qualities that are traditionally attributed to their male counterparts, right? So if you're acting tough, you're aggressive, right? Or or you're coming off as bossy versus if it's a man, oh, he's just passionate about his job. He's powerful. Yeah, he's powerful. He's in control and he knows what he's talking about. Until we're aware of how we're coming across, we can't change. Mm-hmm. And what I found through my research also is men tend to change their behaviors a lot more when it's men confronting them about these things rather than women. Because when women do, they get uncomfortable. You know, it's being called out on bad behavior versus when a man does it. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. when you used your example of just like, hey, man, knock it off. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I feel like nine times out of 10, that person who it was told to would stop that behavior at like temporarily or, or forever, um, depending on their upbringing and personality. But like if a woman, like if I were to just say that to to a male colleague, I feel like they'd be like, you're a little touchy. Like, yeah, I know, like right? it would be immediately yeah. brushed off. That would be the, is it your time of the month question? Mm-hmm. That's where yes, it, it would, would pop up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's where we have to set those boundaries. And it's okay to call people out and say, that's not okay. You know, it's mm-hmm. not okay for you to treat me that way. People will get uncomfortable. There's a great example that I posted about recently. There's this woman who this man is making some sort of sexist joke and she's like, I don't get it. Explain it to me. Oh my gosh. I'm like all about that right now. It's so <laughs> effective though. Like you actually have to stop and think. You have to stop and think how you're coming across, right? That's that self-awareness that because you've grown up in a society that's normalized things like that, unless somebody tells you, unless somebody holds a mirror up to your face and says, this is what you're doing, you're not going to mm-hmm. change. And, and that's where setting boundaries early on is key in establishing your own space. And I'm actually writing a book about this. Oh, oh my gosh. Is this a big reveal? <laughs> 
It's it's going to be called Create and Own Your Space, and it's going to be oh, a guide wow. for women entering the workforce on things to look for and things to do to create and own your space, you know, so you establish yourself with confidence. Because I have a lot to say about this, as you can tell. <laughs> and and it's frankly a book that I, I wish I would have been given when I was first entering the workforce because my life would have been so different. Um, yeah. You're given this advice that choose your boss if possible. You don't know what that looks like when you're just entering the workforce because you're not told about it. You know, you don't know what questions to ask in interviews. You're not you don't know what signs to look for. Mm-hmm. To say that's not OK or this is OK or this is where I want to go work. You are so eager to, you know, find a job after you graduate and you're kind of just like, oh, OK, this is how it is. And I just have to tolerate it if I want to succeed. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like things need to change. And, you know, for our listeners, you know, our, our age demographic very much is coming out of university or college and getting their first job, whether that be corporate or wherever. So let's kind of go through a few examples of their going into their first interview right before, you know, they've even signed on to the job. They're just sitting in, in the interview process. What are those red flags that they need to watch out for? Yeah. That's a really good question. So it starts out with paying attention to the language they're using and the questions they're asking. So if the questions are around your family life, like, do you have kids? Are you pregnant? By the way, some of these Mm -hmm. questions are illegal, but they still get asked. They absolutely still get asked. And it's going to be asked more of younger women who again, are so, you know, excited to kind of get out there and and make a name for themselves that they're not going to look at it as, oh, red flag. So pay attention to those things. There's a wonderful article I found. And, you know, it also talks about a lot more questions like, how do you do in male dominated settings? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Why, why are you asking me that question? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Or if a question, and this is apparently a question that's been asked, we like to make a lot of dirty jokes around here. Are you okay with that? Ew. No, I'm not. What? No. Ew. Okay. <laughs> I want to feel safe when I come to work. Yeah. Right? Another question that's been asked is, have you cried in your workplace? Hmm. Oh, my God. I can't believe these questions have been asked in actual yeah. interviews. That's shocking. They may not be as like blatant red flags. They may also be questions like, what do you like to do outside of work? And while that's a perfectly fine question, if they start to dive more into, you know, we have a lot of tough deadlines and we expect all hands on when things are going wrong. Are you capable of being in a fast paced, high pressure environment? And the opposite of that's true too. Oh, we're like a family here. Those to me are red flags because they're telling me that they are not going to expect your boundaries. That they're going to expect you to be hands-on, you know, and drop everything when things go wrong. And here's the other thing. When these questions are being asked, you have to assess how you feel. Maybe you're okay with it because you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm just trying to establish myself. So if I need to be at work 80 hours a week up front, not doing anything else, that's fine. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's up to Mm -hmm. you to decide. And that is key. Our job as educators in this space is to teach how to think, not what to think. So if you are coming across these questions and you're totally cool with it because, you know, you know who you are and and you are not going to have any problems shutting these down or setting boundaries, that's fine too. 
But if mm-hmm. you are getting a sense of that, you know, the hair at the back of your neck is standing up, or if you're feeling uncomfortable, listen to that. This is not the workplace for you. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I kind of want to go back to asking someone like, oh, do you have kids? Or like, are you planning on getting pregnant? Like, those are just so wrong, even if you are hired mm-hmm. in the workplace. But as a woman who is 29, you know, I am thinking about it probably in the next like four or five mm-hmm. years that I would like to have children. And I sometimes mm-hmm. wonder, it's crossed my mind. I'm like, okay, like, is an employer like putting a clock on my head? Should I be worried if I'm purposely being held back from positions because they think, oh, in like two years, she's going to be pregnant? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. it just seems like it, it actually is something that could be going through upper management's minds when they're considering promotions. Or even in that interview process, say you're looking for a job at 29, you aren't allowed to ask how old somebody is, but yeah. they still might. And then you worry when you go in, it's just like, oh, even if they don't ask me that question, are they trying to gauge how old I am to know, okay, if I hire her, is she just going to go on maternity leave in a year and a half? Yeah. And then you're like, how many jobs have you lost out on because of that subconscious bias? Mm-hmm. And you know what? You don't want to work there anyway. So no. <laughs> no, run. that's good that you didn't get those jobs, right? And that's the beauty. And that's how we need to reframe these things is oh, I didn't get a job, you know, oh, I shouldn't have said that I'm doing whatever, or I shouldn't have asked the work-life balance question. No, ask those questions because you need to know what you're going into. We spend so much of our time at work. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be in a space where you feel comfortable and safe and setting those boundaries. And you want to be in a space where you think you can do something and it's going to be okay, right? So you can leave because you like photography and, you know, you're shooting a wedding, right? And Mm -hmm. you have to know that that's not going to be held against you. So if you're asking work-life balance questions and they're kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, we're pretty good about it. We're actually flexible. Um, But there's sometimes things come up. Listen to how your body's making you feel about how they're answering it. And if you don't feel good about it, and at the end of the day, if you don't get a job and you think it's because of that question, trust me, you didn't want that job anyway. That's such a good point. I really agree with you. You know, we need to be out asking these questions because as we've seen through COVID with this like mass exodus of people leaving jobs, until we put those questions out there, until we put pressure on the employers and the companies, nothing's going to change. You know, in a typical situation, if no one's saying anything, we're just going to accept those red flags that they're putting out there and just be like, well, I'm not going to get anything better. So I better take this job. Yeah. And you know, there is a sense of, I am coming from a place of privilege when I say that, right? Because I know a lot of people need a job, they need money, whatever their situation is, and employers take advantage of that. Oh, absolutely. So it's tough. So that's where you have to sort of look at your situation. You have to look at what's happening. You have to see if you're going to be comfortable being somewhere, even though you're being asked these questions because of whatever situation you're in and make that decision for yourself. But always, always set those boundaries. Always be on a lookout for yourself because if you don't, nobody else will, especially not a power hungry boss (laughs) Um, who's going to you know, take credit for your work and then blame you for their mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
Been there. <laughs> yeah, been there, been there, done that. Yeah. And before we let our listeners know where they can uh, find and follow you, we did want to ask one more question that is yeah. kind of a fun visionary question. And I was wondering, or we were wondering, if you can define the future that you envision for women in the workforce that you would love to see in your lifetime. Uh, can this be another episode? Because <laughs> I feel like I can talk about forever. I think, I think we might need a part two, Preeny. Don't worry. I know. If you want to save this question, <laughs> we can save this question. <laughs> right, because that's a great question. So at the end of the day, I want to be accepted for who I am just as a white straight man is. And yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's a wonderful podcast called Man Enough and – there's a amazing, amazing women's rights activist called Liz Plank. She's actually Canadian, I believe. Ooh. And she talks about this hierarchy of people in the workforce. Okay, so it's men with kids at the top, then men without kids, then women without kids, and then women with kids. That's the hierarchy. Why? I, wow. how our society huh. is. So wow. I want to be accepted for who I am, kids and all. You know, I want to mm -hmm. go into a workforce where women, first and foremost, feel safe, right? Safe being themselves, safe voicing their opinions, safe taking risks. I want to be in a place where I am given the resources that I need to succeed at my job, right? So I want that proper training. I want to be evaluated on my potential, not my past performance. So that's another difference. Men are evaluated on their potential mm. and women on their past performance. Very true. And I want the fact that I have kids to be seen as an asset. There are studies that show that women with children are actually a lot more productive at work because they have kids they got to run to, you know, pick up. <laughs> they have, like better time management, better, better productivity. <laughs> I can absolutely believe that. When we say women are better multitaskers, that's what we mean. You know, when we have these other priorities, when, especially when people have a life outside of work, that should be seen as an asset because this person's well-rounded, they're learning new things, and you never know how those things can give you as an employer a competitive advantage. There's a wonderful leader that I love, and her name is Carla Harris. So she's in investment banking, and for years, she never talked about how she's a gospel singer. And she said that the moment she opened up about that, you know, one of these clients who looked like they were going to lose, they were like, oh, my God, I cannot sing. Like, I don't know how you do it. Like, I sing in my shower, and that's about it. And that kind of rapport kind of helped them get that client in the first place, but it shows mm -hmm. you the beauty of being well-rounded, of having a life outside of work. So my ideal workforce is somewhere where you're psychologically safe, right? So you feel safe taking risks, voicing your opinions, where you find psychological meaningfulness. And that means, you know, your work is challenging. It's fulfilling your coworkers, your boss, you are all looking to help each other succeed. And you feel psychological availability where you can take a break you can go outside, you can tend to your family and come back recharged. All of these factors help increase employee engagement at work, you know, which is going to lead to, you know, more returns and, and greater profits. So employers need to look at their workforce and be true leaders where you care about your people, not just managers where you only care about the company's bottom line. 
like I said, there's so much more I can talk about this, but I, I just want to feel safe. I don't want to be sexually harassed. You know, I don't want to be called sensitive. I want to, I want that seat at the table. I don't want the burden of resolving systemic issues that put me down entirely on me. You live in this world. You see things happening. Speak up and change the world. Wow. Well, Preeti, I think you are absolutely amazing and your movement and everything you're working on is absolutely incredible. Where can our listeners find and follow you? We know you have a podcast because we've both been binging it. I personally loved your (laughs) self-defense series that you did. And I am starting kickboxing in November. Wow. I can't wait to hear more about that. That sounds just so, so fun. Oh, yes. I'm super excited. Where can our listeners find and follow you? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So my website is theempoweredwomanrises.com where you'll find all my podcast links. My podcast is on really any platform. It's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, also on YouTube. And you can find me on my Instagram page where my handle is the Empowered Woman Rises, where I dive a little bit more deeper into a lot of these topics as well. And if you're interested in my book, there's a contact section on my website. So please drop me a note and I will add you to a mailing list for when the book's going to come out. Amazing. Do you have any time estimates on when that's launching? Summer of next year. Perfect. There's just so much I want to put in there that I want to make sure I'm able to include everything. And again, it's not going to be everything, right? But if that can sort of be your working guideline of this is how you need to create and own your space, then I will be just so happy. That's amazing. We'll definitely both have to pick up a copy of that when it's released. And I don't know about you, Laura, but I feel like we need to schedule like quarterly interviews because I feel like we could talk about so much more. Yeah, we've only scratched the surface. So Preeti, if you want to do like a book (laughs) launch party with us on the podcast, like, please, 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 please. I would love that. Thank you. You guys are so amazing. And that's the beauty of this work too, right? When you start to do this empowerment work, you start to see so many more women who are doing the same kind of work. And and it's beautiful. It really is. I would love that. Thank you. You guys have been just so amazing. And thank you again for having me on your show. Thank you. You're absolutely welcome anytime. This has been fantastic. Yes. We might have to bring you on for a series. We'll talk later. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. I would have Our people will call your people. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that sounds absolutely great. Uh, Preeti, is there anything else you want to say before we do like our little sign off? You know, just own who you are. Know who you are and own who you are. Set those boundaries. Make sure you go into the world with high energy, confident about what you will accept and won't accept. And you'd be amazed at how many people pick up on that energy and start to change the world right by you. And with that, live like tea. Live like tea. Live like tea.